Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now, you're multitasking. But what if you could also be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. So multitask right now. Get your quote now at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates national average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Yeah, um, you know, uh, Trent communicated with me late, you know, late last night. I don't know exactly what time it was, but it was pretty late. Uh, and uh, he, had, he had informed me that, that Shad had called him and, um, and, and they had talked about the decision that they made and that he informed him that he would like me to be the interim. So um, Trent had that conversation with me. Uh, so it was, I don't know what time it was. It was, it was pretty late. And then, um, you know, came, came back in this morning and uh, kind of let it rip. Trying to move on, but did you guys game plan without Urban Meyer last night? Yes. I did the math, and I think you got a, a really good chance of finishing with more career wins as an interim coach than Urban had. Nothing. I won't say anything. <laughs> that last part is how the press conference began yesterday with the reporters and Daryl Bevel very jocular and loose and a little shade thrown at Urban Meyer. Hey, I did the math. You can finish with more wins as the interim coach than the guy who just got fired had. And you hear somebody laughing and Bevel Bevel doesn't do the straight faced, uh, you know, he just kind of goes right along with it. But the, the amazing part to me, and we didn't play all of it, but the takeaway that I had was two things. One, Urban Meyer left Wednesday night, and they didn't know anything. They being the assistant coaches who remained at work. Right. And two, and this is based on other stuff I've been hearing, I don't think they had any reason to think anything was amiss because I think Urban had a habit of leaving early anyway. So it's not like, where's Urban? Gee, is it possible he's fired? I just think it was any other Wednesday night. I really do. I really do. And then Daryl Bevel gets the call from Trent Baalke late about what happened. And when you watch the whole press conference, and it's available at Jaguars.com, you do not get the impression that there was any sense of, gee, where's Urban? Something, this isn't right. He's always here with his sleeves rolled up and the midnight oil burning with the rest of it. And I, I, that's been one of the big criticisms that the various people who don't like Urban Meyer have been spreading around to the media. 
And this goes all the way back to training camp. He'd leave yeah. and the other ones would stay there and do the work. Which just like, what are you doing? I mean, this is the kind of thing. This is why he probably felt like he could just uh, stay in Ohio and get the hell out of Dodge. And, you know, but after that Thursday night game, because he just had this sense of entitlement where it's like, yeah, my assistants are going to do it for me. It doesn't matter what I do. I mean, that whole situation, it, it's hard to believe just how much of an abject disaster that Urban Meyer was as a head coach in the NFL. I mean, the, the whole thing with Josh Lambeau started breaking basically as we were on air the other day, Mike, during PFTPM. And then, you know, it just turns out that a few hours later, as I'm, you know, having some dinner and some drinks with a few buddies of mine who were in town for the Chiefs um, and Chargers game last night, that, that it turns out, you know, one of them looks at his phone and it's like, hey, Look, Urban Meyer just got fired. It's 9.30 Pacific, which means it is 12.30 Eastern in Jacksonville. And that was just one of these crazy things. And it's breaking overnight. This coach got fired. And I guess they're kind of doing it by the cover of darkness so that Shaq Khan doesn't have to really say anything. And he said he's not going to say anything until after the season, I guess. So, you know, I, they that whatever you're going to do. But my goodness, what a wild situation it's been in Jacksonville. And they've got a lot of work to do to get that franchise right. And hey, look, Shad Khan ultimately did the right thing. He did what he oh, had to do. Sure. And, and, you know, you, when, you, when you know you've made a mistake, because look, I, I saw, and I think you sent me the tweet yesterday from a prominent national member of the media who oh, said did, that yeah. Shad Khan picked Urban Meyer over all these other guys who were interviewed. Meyer was always the guy in Jacksonville. He right. was the guy that Shad Khan wanted. All those other interviews were either compliance with the Rooney rule or boosting Urban Meyer in relation. Look how good he is. He easily gets the job over all these other guys that we've interviewed. We interviewed all these guys. Meyer's the guy. Meyer was always the guy. Always the guy. And Shad Khan realized, I made a mistake. So he admits it. Instead of doubling down, and he moves on. And he needed to. And, you know, there's a sense out there. I don't want to get too deep into the weeds because we have other things to get to. But there are people in the media who are looking at what's transpired over the last week. And they're saying, okay, how did this all begin to reach critical mass? It started last Saturday with a report from NFL Network, which, again, that's not a, a title that's licensed to some independent company. NFL Network is the NFL. It is owned by the NFL. It is operated by the NFL. The employees of the NFL network are employed by the NFL and its 32 teams. Their paychecks literally are signed by Roger Goodell. So NFL network hits with a Saturday, not Sunday, a Saturday report with three different things about Urban Meyer, Consistent with what had been percolating out there anyway, and it was hard to get to the bottom of everything. Nobody was talking. They were talking enough to light the fuse, but they weren't talking enough for the fuse to hit the bomb, if that makes any sense. All of a sudden, the bomb drops from NFL Network, partially owned by the Jaguars, on Saturday, not Sunday. These reports always land on Sunday. Lands Mm -hmm. on Saturday. And throws a hell of a wrench into the Jaguars' preparations for their game against the Titans. And Urban Meyer's reeling, and he has to address it in the postgame press conference. And just, there's a thought in the media. And I don't know this, but when you consider the fact that the entity that reported these events 
is partially owned by the Jaguars themselves. There's a sense that's emerging that this was no boating accident, that this was a setup. And we're, we're dealing with arguments and lawsuits and allegations that John Gruden was set up. Is it possible that the Jaguars, you know, because we always think, I always think of NFL Network being a sword for the shield, if that makes any sense. No, a shield for yeah. the shield. That, we, we, you know, we, there's certain yes. things we can't yeah, talk about. We, we, yes. We, yes. We, had the, we had the comments from Mike Silver last week who worked eight years in NFL Network saying there were certain things you just couldn't touch, certain things you just can't say. You're working for the NFL. But now we see where the shield can be used as a sword Potentially, potentially. I'm not saying any of this is true, but these are circumstances now that the dust is settling that you look at and you say, hmm, this is odd. This is strange. And again, the outlet that got this going is owned by, in part, the Jaguars. So just something to keep keep an eye on. Keep a, Not that anything else is going to happen with it. We haven't heard from Urban Meyer, though. You know, when we eventually heard from John Gruden, what did we hear? It was a hit job. I wonder if Urban Meyer is going to say, you know, I got a real problem with the fact that these reports were given credence by a media conglomerate that Shad Khan partially owns. Oh, right. And I mean, you know, it could be something like that where he starts saying that, you know, what, what is this hit job? And like, look how I was set up. But then I also think you got to factor in the guy who's now, I think, the Ronan Farrow of the NFL and Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times, right? I mean, because that's where the whole Josh Lambeau thing comes out from, um, from Rick Stroud of the Tampa Bay Times. And then he, of course, is the same reporter who broke the story about Antonio Brown and the potential fake uh, COVID vaccination card. And then that turned out to be true. And then look what happens here. So I think, you know, if, if, if I'm somebody in the NFL and I hear, hey, Rick Stroud's been asking about you, I'm thinking, oh, my gosh, this is, this is not probably pretty good oh. for me. <laughs> it's not good hey, for me. Hey, hey. I tweeted yesterday, there's plenty of Washington fans that are saying, hey, Rick, do Daniel Snyder next. So, right. uh, you know, um, but but now now in the Lambeau thing, and this is where it gets odd, too, because the way that the events transpired, it creates the impression that Lambeau was the final straw. I don't think sure. that's the case. I think the wheels were already in motion and that Lambeau was coincidental. And I think the Jaguars would push back on the veracity of Lambeau's account as it relates to this notion he was kicked and cussed out by the guy that Shad Khan just fired. And there's there's still unfinished business there because I think that the Jaguars had an obligation to report that to the league once they became aware of it under the personal conduct policy, and I don't think they did. And, of course, the league has no comment. Even though Meyer's gone, the Jaguars, if the league wants to do anything about it, that's how it goes. We know what the rules say. Whether or not anything happens, it all comes down to the league, whether they want to do something about it. And maybe the league's just happy to have this endless drama with Urban Meyer over with as well. Uh, let's hear from Trevor Lawrence, the quarterback of the Jaguars, and also Shaq Griffin, one of the free agents who arrived on Urban Meyer's watch about the departure of their head coach. For me, I think it's uh, it, it brings a little bit of clarity to the guys in the locker room. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say relief, but I would say... Um, just bring some clarity and some direction moving forward. You know, we really, we really want to go and finish this season strong. And um, to be honest, it's been hard the last the last week with everything going on. And you know, just 
there's a lot of things being stirred up, I think, by the outside, too. It didn't help. Um, made, made things a lot worse. But also, just everything that's going on, it's hard to be focused and have all your attention and efforts going towards winning the game when there's so many things going on. Uh, I feel like this locker room needs a head coach that actually believe in what their players are saying. You know, trusting that, you know, that we can all make this work. This is not a one-man show. Um, I feel like sometimes head coaches can come in and be like, you know, I'm just going to flip around. This is my way. Let's do it. And sometimes they forget about us. So for any head coach who, you know, decide to take on this job or whatever the case may be, you know, uh, trust your teammates. We can do this together. We can win this together. This is a team effort. So uh, I feel like that will be my main message. Let's do it together as a team. You know, I won't be surprised if the Jaguars come out and play very well on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, ding dong, the witch is dead, right? I mean, I feel like that's the the quiet attitude that's coming out of Jacksonville right now. Yeah, I mean, even though Trevor Lawrence was saying, you know, it's not necessarily relief, it's more clarity. I think that there's relief there because, like, even if you're just saying, oh, well, we clearly know that things are going to be different, that we have to, you know, get a new head coach and da 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 da. Things are going to be different going into next year. There's got to be some sort of sense of relief that, yeah, all of this, you know, outside stuff, if that's what you want to call it, is not going to continue to keep happening because it was just one thing after another, after another, after another. And I have a lot of respect for the way Trevor Lawrence has handled this as the first overall pick and you know, basically the new face of the franchise for Jacksonville. I think he's done as good a job as he possibly can as a front facing person as a front facing employee. But I think Griffin made great points there where it's like, we have to be able to do this together. It's about the collective. And I think the best head coaches in this league understand that, you know, it's all about what we can do together and how we build each other up and how we have to stay together. It's never about one guy. And, you know, if that's the way that urban Meyer was coaching, then obviously it was never going to work out because these are professionals and they can see right through that kind of BS. It's not going to work at this level. And the way that he approached this was never going to work. And so, yeah, I I do think that there's definitely a sense of relief in Jacksonville and who knows the way they're going to play for the rest of the season. The Texans visit the Jaguars this weekend with the second overall pick, possibly the first overall pick, hanging in the balance. I think the Jaguars are going to be very motivated to win. The Texans are already motivated to lose by virtue of the decision to go with Davis Mills over Tyrod Taylor. That means tank, that means lose, that means rise in the draft standings. And one of the unfinished items of business in Houston relates to quarterback Deshaun Watson. There was some reporting last night that got me to fire up the engine a little bit and gather some information. The reports last night were that in October, a judge signed search warrants for Deshaun Watson's social media accounts like Instagram and Cash App or Cash something. I don't know. I don't use them. I don't use them, so I don't know what they are. I'm going to sound like Bill Belichick saying play the old man music. Here we go. <laughs> but but, uh, but don't play it yet. But no. um, yeah, you'll have an occasion to over the course of the next half hour or so. Wow, but great. my understanding is th- these were, number one, old search warrants. This happened in October. Number okay. two, it was all stuff that Deshaun Watson's camp has said, we'll give this to you. You don't need search warrants. You don't need it. We'll give it to you. So it was just kind of a non-issue. But what it did was it dusted off 
something that when the window closed on the possibility of trading Deshaun Watson this year, we'd kind of forgotten about Deshaun Watson. Here's what I currently understand as to where everything sits with Watson. There's an expectation, a belief, a feeling that by the end of January, at the latest, we'll know what the grand jury in Houston is going to do about those state court complaints that were made by 10 different women, eight of which have sued Deshaun Watson, two others just have criminal complaints. We'll know by the end of January. And I think there's a possibility of some sort of a misdemeanor charge. And the question is, how would a misdemeanor intersect with the personal conduct policy? Would that trigger paid leave? Probably not. If he ultimately pleads guilty or no contest or whatever to a misdemeanor charge, what kind of suspension would that be? Who knows? But end of January is where they're currently thinking this is going to resolve. And to give you an idea of how close it all came to resulting in a trade of Watson from the Texans to the Dolphins, the Dolphins wanted the civil lawsuits to be settled, all of them. There are 22. My understanding is 18 could have been done. And there were four holdouts. And if the four holdouts had agreed, it would have been Deshaun Watson playing quarterback for the Miami Dolphins and not Tua Tagovailoa, who is now on the brink of taking the team back to 500 after a one and seven start, Miles. Well, that's pretty remarkable. I mean, it is definitely going to be something to watch, especially at the end of January, because that's kind of when teams start looking at things that can happen for next year. And I think that that is exactly when the trade of Matthew Stafford from Detroit to the Los Angeles Rams started happening at the end of January. So it's not like uh, that's totally a dead period for things, even though the playoffs are still going on. And now that there are more playoff teams and there are more games um, in the regular season, that's going to uh, push things back in terms of the Super Bowl and championship games. So it's really kind of interesting just how close that trade was to happening. I mean, when you talk about Tua Tagovailoa and the way he's responded, I think after a slow start this year, and they obviously had the injury and all that, and he's been dealing with a bunch of different things now. Miami's playing in a way that where he's got more confidence and some of that probably has to do with the opponents, but it's also now he knows that he's going to be the guy I bet that, you know, has helped him a little bit, at least for the rest of this year. So, you know, when we talk about like how close all of these different things are to happening, it's, it's really, really interesting. You make a great point though, about late January, you know, even though the league year doesn't begin until March 16. Business gets done unofficially weeks in advance. So to the extent there's going to be a quarterback carousel that spins this year, and there will be every year now moving forward, I believe, people are going to be staking out their turf possibly before we get a final answer from the Deshaun Watson grand jury. So late January still may not be as early as it needs to be, even with the official transactions coming on March the 16th. Let's take a break. We'll get the latest on Lamar Jackson and his status against the Green Bay Packers this weekend in a key late season game. More PFT Live right after this. With Lamar, obviously the, the ankle. Uh, do you expect him to practice today? You know, that's it's his day to day right now. I mean, he's getting treatment around the clock. Uh, you know, he's a good healer, but we'll have to wait and see what the docs say. That's a, that's a hard one. I think it could go down to the wire. 
Greg Roman, the Ravens offensive coordinator. I don't think Lamar Jackson's playing. I don't think he's playing. And I think they're milking the uncertainty as best they can. That's my gut feeling based upon seeing these things play out and realizing that there is a benefit. You're not going to come out and say he's out before you have to. Why do you do that? Why? Why? Right. Get Tyler Huntler ready. And, and you know, you never know. He may wake up Sunday morning and feel perfectly fine. I mean, you're not lying. It's, it's going to go right down to the wire. We think we know what the decision is, but we're going to take it right down to the wire. But uh, yeah. I just have a feeling we're not going to see Lamar Jackson in a huge game for the Ravens. This could all fall apart from them. One, one of the teams that was at or near the top of the meaningless power rankings not that long ago may not even make the playoffs, Miles. It's a possibility, especially if Lamar Jackson has to miss any stretch of time. But I mean, it's not like Lamar Jackson was performing all that well anyway. I mean, obviously, you know, when you are a pass MVP and he is still young and he still has all the ability in the world. And I don't want to make it sound like, you know, I don't believe in Lamar Jackson at all. I, I, I do. But I think, you know, when you look at what he's done since that Miami game where they basically just played a lot of cover zero, sent guys right at him and made it really difficult for him to see what's going on and make throws. He just has not been the same kind of player that we're really used to seeing. He's not been that same dynamic guy. And he threw four interceptions a couple of weeks ago against the Browns, and they still won that game because their defense was able to stop Cleveland's offense more. So, look, they still have a lot of talented players, but there's just been so many injuries for Baltimore this year that, yeah, it would not shock me if they ended up falling out of playoff contention and based on the way things have gone there. And I would probably have not picked them to beat the Packers anyway, but now that it looks like Lamar's not going to play, because we don't practice Wednesday or Thursday, that's usually not a very good sign. And he hasn't been on the practice field this week so far. But yeah. I, I just think the Packers can go in there and they can beat the Ravens right now because it's going to be hard for Baltimore to score. That Thursday night game against the Dolphins was very significant because that was when they blitzed Lamar Jackson into oblivion. The Ravens didn't have an answer for it. Jackson missed the next game with an illness, and he was back for that Sunday night game against the Browns. The Browns didn't treat him the way the Dolphins did, and I think that that, that experience against Miami messed up the clock in his head and tried to make him make decisions faster and maybe he made some throws he wouldn't have made if he realized he had a little more time to pick his spot because he was rattled by what happened against the Dolphins, and they're still dealing with the aftermath of that, and their offense has not been good. Look, this team is just trying to hold it together. All the injuries they've had both sides of the ball, they're trying to hold it together and get to the finish line and hope that you know the war of attrition eventually will go their way, that maybe some of these teams they're playing will end up being as injured or close to being as injured as the Ravens are. But but it's admirable they're holding it together. Tyler Huntley beat the Bears earlier this year. He wasn't horrible when he came in against your Browns last week, Miles. He was 27 of 38, 270 yards and a touchdown, and they almost came back and won the game. Uh, still, it's the Packers. And the Packers are reaching for the brass ring of the number one seed in the NFC. So, uh, and speaking of the Packers, Aaron Rodgers says his toe isn't going to be a problem. If you haven't heard, he's got a broken pinky toe. I don't know if you haven't heard. You know, we're very careful about HIPAA violations <laughs> around here. We don't want to talk about anybody's broken pinky toe. That should be very secret and private information. But he does have a broken pinky toe, and he says it won't be a problem. Let's take a break. Verizon Speed Round, when this Friday edition of PFT Live continues right after this. 
Around any corner, within every battle, and with the dawn of each new day, the threat of the unexpected, the unpredictable, and the unrelenting lies in wait. But Marines will always be there. They are the constant in the chaos. No matter the battlefield, Marines adapt to win, defeating every shifting threat, protecting our nation's future. The few, the proud, the Marines. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Yeah, I mean, going forward, every game is a must win if we want to get in the playoffs. Um, you know, we got to control what we can control, and if we go out and win all the games that we're capable of winning, you know, we control our destiny. I feel like we're a good enough team to, to make the playoffs, but um, it doesn't matter if we don't if we don't win this week, so we're going to focus game to game. we got four left. We're going to th- go out this week and take care of business, business have a great week of practice, and, and be ready to go. You know, they're, they're a really good defense, really good team, well-coached, play hard. And we're going to have a workout for us this week. Joe Burrow, understanding what the Bengals are up against. They're actually underdogs at Denver this weekend. Lost two in a row, and they need to turn it around, or they are not going to make it to the postseason. It's time for today's speed round, brought to you by Verizon, the official 5G network of the National Football League. And let's start there, Miles. Both the Bengals and the Broncos, 7-6. and six. I'm stunned that the Broncos are seven and six. And this is really their their latest best opportunity to get all of us to take them seriously as a potential playoff team. And this is the, the ultimate swing. We're going to come out of this game either believing what we've believed all along, the Bengals are the playoff contender and the Broncos aren't, or we're going to completely turn it around. It's like, Bengals, see you later. We're on the Broncos bus now. Well, the thing about this, and one of the things that Joe Burrow also said this week, is that Denver's secondary is probably the best one that they've faced all year. Joe Burrow is actually tied for the league lead with 14 interceptions, okay, as he's tied with uh, Trevor Lawrence with that mark. So if Pat Sertain II is one of those guys that's going to be out there and somebody that they obviously have to identify where he is on every single play, Sertain makes a really good play, a game-changing play, then yeah, that's something that can really swing momentum and everything else in Denver's favor. They've got to take care of the football if you're Cincinnati and then go up there and win. But honestly, if Cincinnati wins this game, then they may start having an inside track on winning the division in the AFC North because they've already beaten Baltimore and they've got them one more time, I believe, throughout these last uh, few games of the season. So there could be a changing of the guard there in the AFC North. And I, I believe in Joe Burrow. I think he's great. So we'll see what happens. 
They had their chance last week against the 49ers to forge a tie with the Ravens, and they failed. And, you know, I'm going to be fascinated by, and Sims talked about this yesterday, the Pat Sertain-Jamar Chase matchup. Will they go one-on-one? Will there be help? Chase has faced extra attention, and I think that has been one of the reasons why we've seen the drops kind of come back into his game. He's not as involved as he was before they started doubling him. And if you don't double him, if Sertain can cover him one-on-one, then it's harder to run the rest of the offense. Look, I think the Bengals will win this game, but I won't be surprised if we're talking next week about how the Broncos shocked the world and moved to eight and six and thrust themselves into the wild card mix. Patriots nine and four at the Colts seven and six. A great Saturday night game. Patriots are holding on to the top seed in the AFC, looking for win number eight in a row. The Colts are two and a half point favorites, though, and the Colts are regarded as one of those teams. Look, they get in, they're going to be a problem. How big of a problem do you think they'll be for the Patriots on Saturday night? I think they'll be a big problem, but I think that they, the Patriots can still come out there and win. Listen, it's all about Jonathan Taylor. Is Jonathan Taylor going to be the guy that gets over 100 yards? Because when he's had over 100 yards this year, they win. When he has under 100 yards this year, they lose. It's kind of that simple. If they can run the football, then that's the way that the Colts want to play, and that's the way the Colts can win. But if I'm Bill Belichick, I'm telling, saying there's no way in the world that I'm going to let Jonathan Taylor beat me. It's kind of the same thing that the Buccaneers did a few weeks back. They were like, no, it's going to be Carson Wentz. You know, if Carson Wentz beats us, then so be it. But I'm not going to let one of the best running backs in the game ruin my day because I know how things how things work. Like if he gets going, he gets going and then he's running all over the place. You can't let that happen if you're New England. I wonder if Frank Reich will try to embrace that and turn it into a shootout. There was a pretty significant shootout at one point a few years back in Minnesota where Bill Belichick coached the Patriots and Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator of the Eagles and it worked out for Philadelphia that day and it worked out for Reich that's what got him the Colts job when Josh McDaniels reneged on his verbal agreement to take over as the head coach in Indianapolis but that is a fascinating game that is a great gift an early Christmas gift Saturday night Patriots Colts Browns Raiders not going to be what we thought it was going to be. But, 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 but forget about the COVID stuff. Enjoy Patriots Colts. Just put it on, you know, hey, you watched Lions Bears to start Thanksgiving. Browns True. Raiders isn't going to be any worse than that, even with all the COVID stuff. So it uh, should be a great Saturday. Washington versus the Eagles. Speaking of Nick Mullins, guy who once threw to a, wide open eagle when he was playing for the 49ers that was the only problem the guy from the eagles was wide open (laughs) mullins was just playing for the 49ers at the time washington at the eagles washington has 18 guys on covid reserve uh the eagles six and seven washington six and seven jalen hurts in danger of missing another start with a high ankle sprain Uh, gardner Minshew, and uh i think of what you said the other night about the video of gardner Minshew and his dad uh yeah. Smelling like cigarettes. Yeah. Uh, which I, <laughs> <laughs> um, I think we're, we're going to be smelling cigarettes again. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, look, uh, Jalen Hurts is limited in practice Wednesday, Thursday. And anytime you're talking about a high ankle sprain for a quarterback, and especially a quarterback who's got to use his legs like Jalen Hurts does, I think I would rather have a 100% Gardner Minshew than let's call it 85, 75 to 85% Jalen Hurts, if that's the case. I mean, Gardner Minshew can go out there, he can run the offense, and then you know we'll see what happens. But this is a big game for both of these teams. I mean, Washington right now is still in position for the playoffs, 
but you know, the Eagles, they get to seven and seven and you make Washington six and eight, then you're going to have one of these inside tracks to probably that last playoff position in the NFC. So we'll, we'll see what happens, but I do expect it to be Minshew at this point. Uh, one more real quickly. The Titans going to Pittsburgh this weekend. I'm going out of mm-hmm. order because I want to mention this one. I want to mention this one because I already picked the Steelers to win. Um, this just this is this is one of those. And and I, I did not I did not listen to my instincts two weeks ago when the Ravens were coming to town. I didn't have the guts to pick the Steelers to win, even though I felt deep down they would. 50 years in and around and living within the shadows of Pittsburgh, this is a game the Steelers win. This is a game the Steelers need. They're getting closer to the end of the Ben Roethlisberger tenure. And I just feel like that tie that they had against the Lions, that is destined to be a factor in the dust settles and all these tiebreakers. You don't need to worry about the tiebreakers when one of the teams has a tie. And I think that I just have a weird feeling it's going to come down to week 18 the Steelers, if they beat the Ravens in Baltimore, are going to sneak in by virtue of having that tie. And I think yeah. the process continues with a win over the Titans on Sunday. Yeah, I think this is one of those program wins, right? The Steelers have a football program. It's not just a team. They know what their identity is. And this is one of those games that, you know, it's going to be two heavyweights going at it. Both of these teams are physical. They like running the ball. They like playing good defense. We'll see who's there for Pittsburgh and who they get back from injury. But I just feel like this is one of those games that they know they need to have it at home. And they're going to be able to do it. I mean, they're going to start waving those stupid towels in the fourth quarter, playing renegade. That crowd's going to get real fired up. And you may induce Ryan Tannehill to throw an interception like that. It feels like that kind of game to me. Let's go ahead and take a break. Show me something draft for week 15. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Pro Football Talk is brought to you by Verizon, the official 5G network of the NFL. Yeah, sure. I mean, I feel like maybe any player can. Um, but as I said, I don't necessarily feel like I am. So, um, But I do realize I'm not playing my best ball. I haven't been playing it. Um, I've made some poor decisions, I guess you can say, but um, th- that's kind of part of it. I would say it's um, slump material, but I'm definitely not up to my standard expectations. And when you play at a high level, that's what you create. So uh, I'm glad uh, people have the same expectations for my, for, the, for my game as I do for myself. So that's fine. I'm fully healthy, 100% healthy. Dak Prescott, earlier this week, Jerry Jones, the owner of the Cowboys, said that it's fair to say he's in a slump, even though Jerry declined to say he's in a slump. Dak Prescott disagrees that he's in a slump. He says he's healthy. But there's a clear difference between the first six games he played this year and the last six games he's played. He set a standard early that he's not matching now, and he says he's healthy, so I don't know what's going on. I know what's going on here for a change. The Show Me Something draft for Week 15. Miles, you're up first. Well, let's stay right there. Show me something Dak Prescott, right? Like this is the kind of week where if we're going to say slump, no slump, go to MetLife Stadium where you're playing the lowly Giants and get a slump buster of a game. I think that that's what the, the, the Cowboys need to do right now is go in there. You got a team that's just really not that great. They're probably going to change their general manager. They could change their head coach too. Make them want to do that. Make them look as bad as we think that they are. They're starting Mike Glennon again. 
you know, Daniel Jones is still out. So we still can't see what he's going to be able to do um, for them long-term. I just feel like if there's ever a time for Dak Prescott to get right, it's now where you start this final stretch of the season, what used to be the final quarter of the season. But now that we have 17 games, we can't split the season up into quarters anymore. So when you want to start playing your best football, you want to stop being in a slump, go in there and roll the New York Giants. Tom Brady has never lost to an opponent four straight times in the regular season. He has lost to the Saints three straight times. Sunday night, they get together in Tampa Bay, and the Saints have bedeviled Brady's Buccaneers. Not in the postseason. Although the Saints should have won. The Saints should have won that game. The Bucs found a way to do it. I say that the uh, Tom Brady-led Buccaneers are under some pressure to show that they have it to stay on pace with the Packers. Tom Brady, show me something. Finally beat the Saints. Make me look like not an idiot when me and everyone except Drew Brees picks the Buccaneers to win that game as Football Night in America concludes on Sunday. Tom Brady, show me something, Miles. I like that. Yeah, they do need a win there for sure. Uh, I'm going to say show me something, Miles Garrett. And it's not that he hasn't shown us the kind of great defensive player that he is. But when you're talking about a Browns team that is missing so many key players, I mean, that could be out due to COVID-19. And again, we don't necessarily know whether or not some of these guys are going to be able to test out of it. But you're potentially starting Nick Mullins at QB. You're going to need some big defensive plays, right? So can Miles Garrett do the thing that he did last week, get into the backfield, right? Make a game-changing sack, get the ball loose, maybe pick it up and score another defensive touchdown. That's the kind of things that the Browns are going to need. And so, yeah, I want to see it from Miles Garrett. Be another guy that could make another play that could vaunt you into that defensive player of the year conversation. Russell Wilson suffered his finger injury against the Rams on a Thursday night in October, and now Russell Wilson gets a chance to face the Rams again with Aaron Donald, with Vaughn Miller, with, well, whoever's available that isn't on the COVID list because Vaughn currently is. But this is an opportunity for the Seahawks to keep building, and this is an opportunity for Russell Wilson to get the attention of maybe some of these other teams that are starting to make their plans for next year because we know he doesn't want to be there. He hasn't been great this year. How much of it's the finger as he gets into the home stretch and as the Seahawks try to do what would be a very impressive turnaround, if they can keep winning and get to the right side of 500 for the 10th straight year and maybe get to the playoffs after they were left for dead, the, the Russell Wilson market is going to be significantly higher. Show me something, Russell Wilson, in your opportunity, golden opportunity to beat the L.A. Rams. Yeah, absolutely. I think Russell Wilson All right, we gotta take a break. do that. we got to take a break. We'll do the third round of the draft when we conclude this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. All right, show me something. Week 15, there are the first two picks for each of us. Miles, you are up with round three. All right, I'm going to say Mac Jones. You know, last time we saw Mac Jones, he was only throwing three passes, and I think, what, one or two were of consequence against the Bills in that crazy, crazy win game that they had on Monday Night Football. I want to see Mac Jones go out there and play really well against the Colts defense. It's probably going to try to take away the run. Right? If I'm the Colts, I want to say kind of what, what we were saying about the Patriots earlier – 
I want to make the QB beat me in this game. And I think Mac Jones has the capability of making those significant throws, but I want to see it this week. And then he will really solidify himself, I think, if they go in there and beat the Colts as probably the offensive rookie of the year, if he hasn't already over Jamar Chase. I, uh, I'm fascinated by that game on Saturday night because yeah. of the fact that the Patriots, as you said earlier, will take away Jonathan Taylor, or at least try to, and force the Colts to throw. And I think Frank Reich just look at it and say, and then both teams have had two weeks to get ready for it too. And you wonder, is somebody going to overthink this? But I think Reich looks at it and says, hey, you want to get into a shootout? We'll get into a shootout. I'll put Carson Wentz up against Mac Jones. And then the Colts take away the run and Jones has to do it. Yeah, he's going to throw a lot more than three passes in that dome on Saturday night. Last one for me, I'm going to go to Monday night. Show Ooh. me something. Mike Zimmer, because if you want to save your job, you're not going to go in there and build some lead and then blow it and hold on and, you know, avoid a loss on the last play of the game. Let's have a game where the owners can grab a scotch and light up a cigar and enjoy the final 20 minutes of the game instead of wonder, are we actually going to blow the biggest lead ever in regular season history of the National Football League, which is what it would have been if the Steelers had won that game. If Zimmer has any hope of staying, he's got to have a convincing win on Monday night and then win enough of the final three against the Rams, Packers, and Bears, Miles, to get to the playoffs. I saw you talking about this the other day, right? The most interesting matchup is the Minnesota Vikings versus the lead because it seems like they always are just in a battle with that. They're going to have the lead at some point, and then are they going to blow it? Are they not? Are they going to be able to hold off the team from getting into the end zone? Are they going to be able to come back and do whatever they need to do? It's just one of these roller coaster weird years for them, and I don't know if this is something that you want to keep doing because, I mean, like, look, at, at a certain point, you just are who you are, and that's who the Vikings are. The team is the reflection of the coach. This all goes up to the coach to the extent that they lose focus when they get ahead. They get complacent. They don't have the killer instinct. When you get the opponent on the ropes, you punch them through. That's what the Vikings need to do. We're through. Thanks for some of your time. We'll see you at 5 o'clock Eastern for PFTPM. Have a great day. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.